Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. If you're looking to throw some optics on your turkey gun this spring, look no further than the Vortex Defender ST. This is the red dot we're going to be running this season. We're excited about it. This thing's built like a tank, super lightweight, super long battery life, everything you need in a good turkey red dot. And if you want to get a discount on that red dot or any other Vortex Optic, go to eurooptic.com and use the code SGN10 to get a discount. That's eurooptic.com, code SGN10. If you live in the Gulf Coast region, you need to find yourself at the EcoWild Expo May 10th through the 12th in Mobile. It is the premier outdoor expo for the Gulf Coast region, and we're going to be there. We're going to have a booth. We're super excited about it. Can't wait to meet you guys that live down there. We absolutely love the Gulf Coast region, so to be a part of this show, we're super excited about. We're going to have past podcast guests there at our booth for you to talk to, guys who are relevant for your area, who you can talk to. You can pick their brain. You can joke with them, laugh with them, tell them your story, whatever you want to do. It's going to be a awesome time. We're already working on some past podcast guests, but hey, if you live in this area and you have a suggestion for someone you want to see at that show, write in and we'll see if we can get them. There's going to be all kinds of exhibitors at the show that are focused on hunting, fishing, conservation, and recreation. There's going to be activities for the whole family there. They got axe throwing, archery. They're going to have our podcast booth. And then for the kids, they got touch tanks, a honeybee exhibition, a raptor show, kids fishing tank, BB gun range, and a butterfly house. So you're going to love it. Your kids are going to love it. It's going to be an awesome time. So head on over to ecowildexpo.com to get more information on the show and to go ahead and grab your tickets. And hey, mark it on your calendar. May 10th through the 12th. Be there. We want to see you. And we're excited to talk to you. So we'll see you at the EcoWild Expo this May 10th through the 12th at the Mobile Convention Center in Mobile, Alabama. Alright guys, welcome to episode number 20 of the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. So, I'm going to keep this intro a little short. As you can probably tell, the audio for this intro is not that great. That is because I left my good microphone down in Auburn, and I'm in Birmingham right now. So, I'm just recording this off my laptop. So, I know this doesn't sound good, but luckily, the, uh, the interview I did with Scott Ellis, uh, I used my microphone. So, it sounds a lot better. So, sorry about this intro, so I'll keep it short. A um, couple things I will say. Uh, make sure you go to the Facebook page and check out our huge giveaway we are doing with Indian Creek Shooting Systems and Apex Ammunition. So, what we're doing with them is each company put up a certificate that will get you basically anything from their stores. So, you win the competition, you get whatever Indian Creek choke you want, and you get whatever Apex ammo you want. So, that is a sweet setup, turkey killing setup. Well over a hundred dollar value, so 
y'all go check it out and um if you haven't already done it i'd highly encourage you to participate in that because i sure wish i was eligible to win it <laughs> but i'm not so i, I still got to buy my stuff guys but hopefully one of y'all can win it and have a turkey killing setup for either this season if you still got some season left or next season but anyways uh so today i interviewed scott ellis you know i mean y'all probably heard of scott ellis i mean He's all over YouTube. Uh, his instructional videos on turkey calling are some of the best out there. He's pro staff for Woodhaven. He's pro staff for Apex. He's pro staff for True Glow. All of these different companies, Mossy Oak. Um, he's just an all-around great guy, too, man. I know that in the hunting industry, a lot of these more famous people, some of them aren't what they... They don't live up to what they're supposed to be. Uh, <clears throat> Chris Brackett, you know. You get what I'm saying. Um, but then, especially on the turkey side of things, man, you get these guys who are just down-to-earth hunters, man. And Scott is just that. Scott grew up hunting public land in Florida for Osceola, some of the toughest hunting in the country. So he really relates to us. And he's just a guy that spent, like Cuz Strickland, like we said about him, he's a guy who has just spent an extraordinary amount of time in the turkey woods. He's seen a lot of turkeys die. And... Scott is also a big competition caller, so he can he goes really in depth in this interview about competition well not competition calling but just turkey calling in general. And we talk about anything from you know Jake Yelps to wines and feed calls and soft subtle stuff, making turkey sounds that aren't Yelps or just regular calling. It, there's a we cover a ton of stuff in here. It's a great interview. Scott was awesome. Scott, man, I can't thank you enough for coming on. I had a blast talking to you, and I think that y'all are going to get a lot out of this one. Um, so, uh, if y'all don't mind, give us a little bit of feedback on this episode, you know? Uh, send us a Facebook message. Email us. The email is aloutdoors8 at gmail.com. Shoot us an email, or you can, uh, you can message us on Facebook or Instagram, and we'll get back to you probably in the same day. Just tell us what you think of the episode, man, or uh, leave us a review on Facebook or iTunes. That always helps. Um, those five-star reviews, man, they give us a big bump, and it helps other people find us, and, you know, the more people that find us, the faster we grow, the more, the more opinions we can get on what kind of stuff to produce, because the more that you guys write in, the better idea of, of the, the better idea we get of what people want to hear about. So hopefully we can keep cranking out some good content, guys. Thank you, who've all, all of you guys who have already written in. We really, really, really appreciate it. It's been awesome. This has been a really, really fun spring, and hopefully um, we'll keep the ball rolling, man. But yeah, y'all, y'all interact with us. We'll always respond to your messages, no matter you know if you got a question or just a criticism or, or anything. We'll always respond. We're happy to have you guys. Y'all are some of the best fans in the world. And uh, y'all tune in next week to hear about mine and Jacob's last few turkey hunts. There have been, there's been some floppage. Several turkeys have died. Awesome stories coming up. We just couldn't make our schedules line up to uh, do this intro for this week. So that'll definitely be on next Monday's podcast. But without me babbling on any further, here is that interview with Scott Ellis. You guys enjoy. All right, and I'm here with Scott Ellis, who many of you have probably heard of before, whether you've watched his YouTube videos or you've seen him on his new show, Hunt Quest. He's a, 
he's pretty well known in the turkey hunting world, I'd say. He uh, he owns Turkey Tech, he owns Hunt Quest, and he's the host of it. He's a three-time Grand National Calling Champion, and he's a uh, the manager of Apex Ammunition and Woodhaven's Pro Staffs. So, Scott, I know you got some other stuff on there, but how how you doing today, man? <laughs> well, I appreciate the kudos, brother. I'm doing great. I am packing while I'm talking to you, getting ready to take my son Jacob Ellis to North Carolina to hook up with my buddy Shane Martinez, and we're going to get after some uh, Eastern North Carolina turkeys tomorrow morning. Not tomorrow morning. I'm sorry, Thursday morning. Heck yeah, man! I, I like the sound of that. So. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, man, you got you got a lot going on. What other what other pro staffs you on? I know Mossy Oak, uh, Old Tom. Yeah, I'm on Mossy Oak's national pro staff. Proud to be with Mossy Oak. Great camo. Um, I'm on um, uh, True Glow and Thermosales pro staffs, and um, I've got two great calling DVDs. If you haven't looked at Turkey Tech, Mouth Call Magic One and Two, that's available on my website at scottellishunting.com. They're great comprehensive looks. At uh, Mouth Call Magic 1 is kind of covering the gamut on one mouth call, and Mouth Call Magic 2 covers uh, four different mouth calls and, and three different styles of hidden yelping as well, clucking and purring, tree calling, all the goodies. <laughs> yeah, man. But, I like it. Uh, and that's kind of one reason that, that I wanted to have you on is because I've told you before, but for the listeners, I've, I've looked up to Scott for a long time, and I've learned a lot of my calling from him with his stuff on YouTube and just other content that he's put out. I've learned a lot of, of how, to, how to make turkey sounds, not just you know the regular vocalizations, but how to really use a mouth call. And man, to, to get us started, I'd love to talk about turkey tech, because if I had turkey tech when I was like 15, <laughs> I, I, would be a different, I would be a different turkey hunter right now. <laughs> Well, I appreciate that a lot, Andrew. I mean, it's a great app, and and I, I'll talk, talk briefly on it. It's it's me giving instruction on a mouth call and a pot call. It's audio of me on a mouth call and a pot call. More importantly, it's audio of a wild turkey doing the sounds, so you can compare yourself to the turkey. And then it's got printed tips that talk about the call, when the call is given by turkeys, and when the hunters use the call. As well, the coolest option on the whole thing, I think, is the voice recorder that's built in. You can record yourself, hit play, and then play the turkeys or whatever your poison is, play it against my calling, and then kind of get a baseline for what you want to do in the woods when you go turkey hunting. Yeah. And, you know, like you said, if you had this when you were a younger fella, and you're still a young fella compared to this old guy, <laughs> <laughs> but if, the cool thing about my, my instruction and what I've done over the years with YouTube, my mouth call magic DVD, is I'm trying to make the learning curve shallower for the for the average hunter that may or may not have the time to invest in, in practicing all the time and devoting tons of time because of work, because of family, whatever it is. But if I can help that guy be successful and I, I can hook one hunter, then I've done something to help what we love as the heritage and the tradition of hunting. We yeah. hook one hunter each time somebody buys has this download or or watches my YouTube video or whatever, then that guy's going to buy a hunt license, he's going to buy camo, he's going to buy shells, he's going to buy guns. He is supporting the heritage and the tradition we know as hunting. I hate calling hunting a sport. That's not somewhere I like to go because to me it's not a sport. Yeah. It's a lifestyle, it's a tradition, it's a way of life. So if we can hook people by allowing that learning curve to be shallower, then hey, I've done my job in, in all reality. I've helped people become successful. 
and we've got more people engaging in what we love that will prolong a life of what we love and that's time. Yeah, man, I couldn't agree with you more on that because that's just that that really speaks to why we started this podcast too. Because I mean, when I when I discovered a podcast, man, it honestly, I mean, it's cheesy, but it like changed my life. I mean, it took me to the next level in hunting just because you can take in so much content. Like I was listening to like Wired to Hunt, all these deer hunting podcasts, like Meat Eater and everything, and I was yeah. learning a lot from it. But they're just. I mean, you know, I said in the intro of this podcast, like our first episode I meant, uh, where, you know, some guy talking about hunting a cornfield in Ohio, just, I mean, he doesn't really speak to me, which is why we started like the Southern-based podcast for the Southern hunter, you know, give a, a right. Southern guy a resource. And you're from uh, way down South. You've been hunting Osceola's in yeah. Florida for your whole life. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about your history, how you've been uh, hunting Osceola's in Florida and kind of how you've gotten started in your career. Oh, gosh. Um, let's see. I was 9 or 10 years old. I was hunting a little piece of property that my uncle, Ray Ellis, had gotten me permission to hunt with my father, Cliff Ellis, and um, met a gentleman named Glenn Wilson. And, and Glenn will probably, his, his name, name has been used a hundred times over the last five, six, seven years since podcasts have become popular. I've been doing a lot of these. Um, but anyways, Glenn Wilson was a tried and true, died in the wool turkey hunter. Um, no decoys, no pop-up blinds. And uh, he ran mouth calls only. And he's, I was at camp one t- one fall morning after a deer hunt. And Glenn popped in these uh, Quaker Boy mouth calls and started making these glorious sounds on a mouth call. And I was absolutely <laughs> enamored with the fact that you could make sounds on a call and communicate with a wild animal straight up doctor do little stuff up here yeah. <laughs> you know and yeah. when that when he started making these sounds and started telling me about turkey hunting at that point at around nine years old i started every magazine back then there was nothing but printed articles there was print there wasn't the internet there was nothing online there was not the internet at all so i had to go and I started digging through every, I go to the library and, and look at archive magazines and books and was reading every piece of literature that I could about how to call to these birds and learning the language of these birds. And then I had old, I had a 33 vinyl record. It was a Penn's Woods, Rod Latham. These are names you probably have never heard, <laughs> vinyl 33 record. And it started teaching me the basic calls on how to create, how to, how to call a turkey, how to create create them on a mouth call from then I went into some of Dick Kirby stuff on their cassette tapes and I started learning all about the wild turkey and from there killed my first turkey I think at a 10 or 11 and um, the rest is history I mean growing up outside of that one piece of property that we had permission to hunt I had to basically count on public land so outside of that one place that we had for like two seasons and we lost it I was hunting management areas my whole life up until I left for the Army at 18 years old. And what those seven or eight years of hunting hardcore, pressured Osceola turkeys on public ground was the art and the romance of calling a turkey. There was no decoys started in the mid 90s, and this was in the late 80s. So I'm not, decoys had not gotten really popular yet. So I learned how to kill tur- turkeys successfully by communicating with them and with a great setup, and then knowing and patterning the birds. And that's the way that I started to hunt turkeys. And yeah. That, that, that's the, that, that's the, briefly, that's what happened. From there, at about 18 years old, 17 years old, I'd gotten really good on mouth calls. 
and I uh, entered the Florida State senior senior division at a seventeen as a seventeen year old, and I should have been called in the juniors. Well, I was a cocky young kid and thought <laughs> I was all I was uh, all that in a bag of chips, <laughs> and I uh, asked the gentleman if I could call up in the senior division because I didn't have the money to call in both. So I said, "Can I?" I call in the senior division. I think I'm pretty decent. And the guy chuckled and said, sure, young man, you can call anywhere you want to call. <clears throat> and I, I couldn't afford to call, call in the open, so I called in the Florida State only at 17 years old, and I played second in the Florida State in 1992 as a senior in high school. That's awesome. Man. And the rest is history. Then you go back into the Army and gone and back and forth, Korea, Fort Hood, Texas. I bounced around the world and you know the states and then got back into calling competitions really very, very seriously in probably about 1999, 2000, when I got serious about it again. Yeah. Yeah, man. And seeing you call live, uh, when I've been coming up to Nashville these last few years for the convention, it's just, it's crazy what you and those other guys up on that stage can do with a mouth call, man. Just how much you sound like a turkey is just, it just, it's crazy. I mean, it's crazy. You can sit there and close your eyes, and I mean, it's like you're sitting in the turkey woods. Well, and I, appreciate that and I and speaking for all the other callers I think we all appreciate that and that's what we strive for um, because that's what we're trying to do we have one minute to paint a picture of a turkey in the woods and you know what we do is replicating in a short time frame what a turkey would do in the woods and if we're doing that and you're hearing it and you're visualizing it then we're doing our jobs on the stage and, and that's what we're trying to do because we're trying to find that common hen that common sound that you've heard over and over in the woods that's what you end up finding ultimately will find you scoring better when you find that common ground that hen that a lot of guys have heard not something that's on one end of the spectrum that's maybe really high pitched or on the other end of the spectrum that's a really low pitched hen you're kind of finding that happy ground right in the middle and that's when you you start learning the game of competition calling you're finding that hen you're finding the rhythms the cadences that are realistic and the tones that will fall very nicely on anybody's ear not on just one guy's ear or two of the five judges or seven judges you want it to fall right in the middle of the road and when you do that you get solid scores across the board when you get solid scores you win calling contest yeah yeah man i hopefully one day i'll be good enough to start doing calling competitions i almost entered one here in auburn a couple weeks ago but i wasn't in town when it happened so i wasn't able to do it but uh and earlier you mentioned the kind of the romance of turkey hunting and hunting without blinds and hunting without decoys and that's that's something I really want to discuss with you and you know before we get into this discussion before we make anybody mad we're not putting down hunting with decoys or anything if you if you if you want to use that to kill a turkey man go for it I've used decoys I've killed turkeys over decoys before there's nothing wrong with it but for this conversation we're just going to kind of focus more on the just calling and set up yes precisely yeah exactly. just calling and oh, set up yeah. you know there's people reaping there's people fanning uh which actually has been going on for a lot longer than it's become uh sensationalized in the last couple of years uh, i know guys have been fanning turkey especially western birds rios and miriams for years but you know what i don't i don't ridicule anybody for, for any legal hunting method if it's legal and you're supporting hunting, then go out and do what you do. But the cool thing is in these podcasts, in my style of hunting, is that I try to let people know there is other ways of killing turkeys. 
so that you don't rely on one particular method of hunting. I'll def- I will employ a decoy every once in a while if I think that it's really going to be what makes a difference. And I usually have to do it with somebody I have to borrow a decoy from because I don't even own a decoy anymore. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> but, but there are certain scenarios and situations. If, if, if you've got a situation where they, you have a dominant gobbler in a field and you know that bird's been hunted and, and he's got hens, and all of a sudden you flop one Jake decoy out in that field because nothing else has worked, that could be what seals the deal. Then more power to you. I, like I said, I will never ridicule illegal means of taking any type of, type of game animal. But it's cool to just let people know and, and help people understand that if you create more methods and techniques for hunting the bird, you're going to become more, more more successful than relying on one particular method. That's absolutely true. And that's something that I learned the hard way because I'd always hunted with a decoy over the last few years. And only now do I realize that using that decoy for me was almost like a crutch where I was worrying about finding a spot where I could use the decoy more than finding a spot that was more conducive to giving me an advantage over the turkey. And so I just, I kind of quit carrying one this year and I've had a lot more luck than I've had in past years for sure. Um, I think you've used my hide the hen tactic a few times, haven't you? Yeah, that's what I was just about to get into, man, because, <laughs> yep, <laughs> me and you talked on the phone back in, I think it was February, and we talked about, you told me all about, you know, hide the hen, and I really took that to heart this season, and so, long story short, I've killed, our limit's five here in Alabama, I've killed three, I should have killed five by now, but I've killed three, shot one, and wounded it, which still makes me sick, but, uh, Every time, man, it's been in a, in an area where I'm sitting and I can't even see that turkey until he's within gun range. Like you, the way you put it, you said they can't see you until it's too late. So I'll let you kind of do a little spiel about hide the hen and what that means. Hide the hen. It's a very simple tactic that I learned to use, especially in Florida because the woods are generally thicker. Unless you're hunting pasture, you know, we have a lot of pasture in Florida. Tons of cattle in the state of Florida. People wouldn't even know it unless you hunted it. A lot of cow pasture, but outside of that, you've got uh, a lot of oak hammock, you have palmettas, you have some planted pines, you have some uh, free-ranging pines, if you will, free-grown pines. And what it all boils down to is you set yourself up in a position, if you are hunting a field is a great example, if I happen to get on a field turkey, I'm going to set up, and I'll have to give you an example of this. This worked in South Carolina last week. I'm going to set up where that bird has to come take a look in that meaning on a field i'll set up 30 40 yards inside the wood line instead of going to the edge of the wood line because one the turkey may already be in the field two if he's not in the field when you strike him if you set up 30 yards in that wood line he he knows when he hears you call that he cannot put eyes on you now this goes for big woods hunting if you're in a place that's planted pines find some cover find a place that puts you with good visibility, but yet that bird can come to you from 150 yards away, and he cannot see you until, guess what? You just said it's too late. He's in gun range. Oh, you can yeah. use a bend in the road, a fire break. You can be on a field tucked inside 30, 40 yards. You can be on the on a field but around the corner of a, uh, you know, in a little nook or a pocket of a field where that bird comes around the corner on the wood line, and boom, he's in gun range. And that's basically all it is. You're set, setting up where that turkey has to come take a peek and to see the hen, this sexy hen he's hearing. And when he does, it's too late. He's in gun range. Now, me, 
being a part of a hunting show, my own hunting show, it doesn't always make for the great B-roll because it's legitimately, it's cat and mouse. Hide the hen, it's cat and mouse. You're playing a, you're, you're capitalizing on visibility, basically. So it doesn't always give you flogging a decoy for 20 minutes before you decide to blow it off the back of the hen. I mean, that's <laughs> great for some people. That's not my thing. I'd rather see a great hunt where a guy sets up in big timber or sets up some where, where that bird gobbles and he gets closer and he gets closer. And then all of a sudden when he makes his appearance, guess what? He's 35, 40 yards and he's dead. And yeah. that's basically the hide the hen tactic that I've been using since I learned to hunt public land Osceola's back in the, in the late 80s. Yeah, man. And for, for an example for the listeners, just to give another example of, of a kind of a scenario where you can hide the hen, the first turkey I killed this season, back I think it was March 27th I shot it, uh, I was in a spot where... I got this big, wide open creek bottom that has two hills coming up off of it on on either side, yeah. and then there's little drainages coming off of those hills. And I basically set up in a way where I'm sitting kind of right over one of those drainages. I'm right where the hill like kind of curves around to go into the next drainage. So exactly. when he's traveling the, how do I put this? When he's traveling the bottom of that hill, when he wraps around that hill, he's right there. And he wrapped around that hill, and he was at 40 yards. And I, he eventually worked into like 25 before I shot him. But then the second turkey oh. I shot, exact same thing. I shot him at 12 yards. And then the third turkey <laughs> I shot, man, I shot him. Yeah, man, I'm buying this uh, this TSS uh, Apex Ammo 7.5 shot, 3.5-inch Magnum, oh. and I'm shooting turkeys at 12, <laughs> 12 yards oh. with it. You can shoot it with a 410 at 12 steps, but yeah, it's, it hits them like a freight train, brother. <laughs> oh, yeah. And you know what? Just to, just to correlate with what you've been talking about, my, my bird I killed in South Carolina on Fort Jackson last weekend um, was a bird that we spotted in a field. And we had seen him the afternoon before. We were coming out of our hunting area. He was going to roost. We we're like, awesome. Let's, sign, let's see if we can get this area for the hunt in the afternoon, and we'll end up right back here because obviously he's roosting around this, this green field. Well, we ended up back there about 4:45. We did we did a cruise by. I want to say drive by. That that sounds a little thuggish. <laughs> we did a cruise by, and the gobbler was out in the field. Well, we drove. We I've done this a hundred times over the years. We drove right past him. He didn't wig out because a vehicle drove by. He's used to seeing vehicles. It's a it's an army installation. They see a lot of traffic. So we went past this turkey, probably seven eight hundred yards, and amazingly enough, we had a drop in elevation because this field dropped off into a creek bottom. So we had like 10 foot of elevation change and we were able to get out of the truck, get the cameras, get the gear, slip all the way up to about 40 yards to the edge of that field. And I said, all he's got to do, all we got to do if this bird gobbles and he was responsive is come right to the edge of the field and peek down in the woods. And guess what? <laughs> After I, I sat, we set up, I yelped a few times. I had a hen start clucking to me to my right. She started coming in. The bird started gobbling, and this will be on Hunt Quest next season. And this bird had the coolest gobble I've ever heard. It almost sounded like a, ho- a goose honking. He'd go, <laughs> It was the coolest thing I've ever heard in my life. And I'm like, is that a Jake with him, or what's going on here? And lo and behold, it was that one gobbler. He had like a, hung, a goose honking in front of his gobble. But that bird finally started answering. And came right to the edge of the field, and guess what? He, he strutted right around the edge, and and then at 40 yards, boom, he met his maker. No, Just like we're up. talking about. He hid the hen. See, if we decided to slip too close to the edge, we might have bumped the turkey. If we 
we just, if he would have been off the field and we went to the edge of the field and set up on the edge of it and then caught him back in it, he'd have been looking at, an, at, at that sound and listening for that sound and going, I don't see a hen. Why am I going to come over there? I hear this call and there should be a hen standing there. There's no hen standing there. And what are they going to do? 99 times out of 100, they're going to hang up when they do that. Yeah. Now, that's where a decoy can work in your favor. But guess what? We would have never been able to employ a decoy because he was already in the field. Yeah. So that's where it becomes so successful to use this tactic of backing off of, of these gobblers and setting up in a spot where he enters that gun range zone he's dead and makes it and then he knows he sees he should be seeing the hen that's about when he comes in kind of alerts up he might even come out of strut and he looks around and goes uh oh I don't see a hen come out <laughs> gun goes off he's dead yeah <laughs> yeah man that was that was my big roadblock over these last few years where I'd, I'd gotten good at calling, I could use friction calls, I could use mouth calls, I, I was good enough to kill a turkey with that, I could find turkeys, I knew where they lived, I just, my setups were always lacking, so I would get on a lot of birds all the time, and they would always hang up on me, or they would bust me, or they would come in in a way that I wasn't expecting them, and I wouldn't get a shot, and ever since the, I've just kind of really focused on your tactic, I've I've just well, seen a lot more success, man. Well, I really appreciate it, man. And I really do. And I and I have to give a little bit of backstory on decoys for me. I I bought a a Featherflex hen decoy back in the '90s when I was stationed at Jackson. And um, maybe well, wait a minute. Let me think. Yeah, yeah. But right around the, right around the '90s, and I started trying these decoys that everybody was ranting and raving about. Now, granted, a Featherflex decoy is not exactly a Day Smith decoy or an Avian X. You know, they're not, they're not stuffers. They don't have the realism that some of these decoys do now. But I, I was just blessed in the fact that I learned to hunt another way before Deeks. And when I started employing them, I was having a lot of bad experiences. I was having that bird walk in, get alert, stare at the decoy, and walk off. And that happened two or three times. And I said, well, these decoys are garbage. I'm never going to use this thing again. So that being said, after after putting them away and continuing to kill the crap out of turkeys for many, 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 many years, over 30 years now. now there are situations where I will employ a decoy. I was on calling all turkeys with Shane Simpson last year, and we had some gobblers that were gobbling but skirting us, and Shane actually put a Jake decoy. He belly crawled as these birds are trying to skirt us about 300 yards in this big old green field, up out field, and Shane managed to get that daggone decoy up and we had a little hedgerow in front of us, and belly crawled back to the cameras. A little bit of luck involved here. And when they crested or came out of that little bit of hedgerow where it was giving us cover, I started Jake yelping, and they laid eyes on that decoy, and it made the difference. So I don't have a problem admitting when something works, but it's just it has to be just the right situation where I'm going to employ it, where I think it's the end all. You know, that's the end game. Is nothing else we're doing is working, so why not give it a shot? Yeah. But it's definitely never going to be the first thing I go to when I set up on a turkey. Yeah. Now, th this is a good segue to the next topic. You mentioned Jake Yelps. So you, we were talking earlier on the phone about how you think that Jake Yelps and Gobbler Yelps are super overlooked, and that's something that we, me and Jacob talked about in an earlier episode because I, I think I mentioned to you, I shot one opening morning, wounded it, didn't kill it, so I... I was all sick about it all morning, and then I went and tried another spot midday, got one fired up, he hung up, and I Jake yelped at him and got him to come in, which that didn't work out either, but I got him to come in with a Jake yelp. But 
<laughs> so why why don't you just kind of give me your idea of what what the uh, a Jake and a gobbler yelp can do for you, especially on places like high high pressure areas where other people maybe aren't using that call, or maybe right. uh, why don't you give me your thoughts on that? Well, um, a I really believe that a lot of turkeys are killed year in year out because the guy is emmy more of a jake yelp than he is a hen yelp especially when you get some old timers and, and old school callers on old box calls and, and lynch box calls where it's, it's definitely a really deep honking style yelp especially on a lot of cedar box calls back from the old days and i think a lot, a lot of times they're gonna and a lot of guys yelp very slowly and that call has that deeper pitch and it, essentially what i think happens is um, a gobbler hears a jake and he feels challenged if he's a mature bird and whether he's you know you're not emulating him now i'll have to spin this off into a whole other tactic where i jake yelp and answer with hen yelps that is even a better tactic that even goes more further advanced to what we'll get into in a second here if i remind me so i don't forget it because i'll probably run off on another tangent but <laughs> but i think what happens ultimately it's almost like gobbling at a turkey you're challenging him he recognizes that yelping as a jake looking for company and when that jake is yelping looking for company in his area if a jake's not gobbling which he will not generally do if he knows a dominant gobbler's in the area he's yelping to try to elicit a response from a hen and if he does that and a gobbler recognizes that as that slow deep honking yelp he's thinking there's a jake in there trying to snake his ladies and i think that's ultimately what's happening when you use a jake yelp or a gobbler yelp for that matter um i think there i mean there's a fine line Jake yelp generally has a little less rasp, in my opinion, than a, than a gobbler yelp. They're very similar. They both have that honking, rollover-style yelp. And it's and the big, biggest thing, the biggest key to emulating either one is a slower rhythm, just a very slower, more drug-out rhythm. And um, and that's what I think is happening when you, you utilize a Jake or a gobbler yelp. Yeah. Um, now, what was it I just told you that I think that, what, what, what was it? Oh, oh, oh. Answering back. Jake yelps with him. There yelps. we go, there we go. So I'll <laughs> Jake yelp like I'm my tube call and I'll even half gobble out and then I'll and I'll have a mouth call in and then I'll immediately or on my tube call I immediately start I'll do a high pitched jake yell or hen yell so I'm giving the impression that I've got a jake calkin going into a half gobble and then I have a hen answering him so that to me is is almost as good as gobbling at one but yet it's making him think it's a jake not another mature bird so to me, that's even a more deadly tactic than just gobbling because you might, if it's a two-year-old, and I love two-year-olds. I love two-year-old turkeys. If they gobble and they got a full fan, I'm not looking at spurs. I'm killing a gobbling full fan turkey. Okay, it, you know, If he happens to have great spurs, then wonderful. But ultimately, that gobbler, here's the Jake half gobble, answered, hen answers him. He thinks there's a Jake sliding in on his, his potential harem of hens, and that is even more uh seductive to me and you're exploiting the vocalizations of the wild turkey even more than just jake yelping when you do that you half gobble and then the hen, you do the hen yelp answer you're making them think that a juvenile has come into his territory and that is as good as gobbling in the sense that if you gobble that works sometimes but sometimes it'll run a turkey off it might be a two-year-old that got his butt whooped by the dominant bird and if you just gobble at him he may think that's that dominant 
taking a bird that whipped his butt and he may take off. And I've done it. I've done this. I've just gobbled and then the bird went the other way and I go, well, I guess I scared him off because maybe he had, had his butt warped. Had I just jake off and half gobbled, he might have thought that was a juvenile and he would have been more inclined to come over to test the waters and see if it's somebody he could whoop up on. Yeah. So there's your there's some of your advanced Jake Gobbler yelping and goblin tactics by using vocalizations only. Yeah, man. And I this morning I was gobbling at birds on a I can't gobble on a mouth call, but I can gobble on a box call. And I got one fired up at about eight thirty, which that was a whole fiasco, but didn't end up killing him. <laughs> but it was fun. It was a fun hunt nonetheless. But uh, there you go. You probably learned something, right? Oh yeah, I sure did. I learned. I'll tell you what I learned today. I I learned to not assume that both of the turkeys walking in are hens because I got this bird fired up behind me, just like going at it, gobbling and gobbling and gobbling. So I'm like, okay, uh, he's he's trying to make his way around uh, this hill that I'm on. So he's he crossed the creek and he was coming to me. But then I'm just about to get up and move on him, and I hear something to my right, and I look over, and here comes two turkeys. And I'm like, crap. Here, oh, And I, I'm like, they're hens, because I see the first one's a hen, so I'm like, crap, these hens are going to him. So then I loop around and get right in between him and those two turkeys, and I'm sitting there waiting mm-hmm. on him. And I, I don't know why I did this. I just assumed that those other turkeys saw me when I moved. And so I'm sitting there, and long story short, these birds walk up and get like five feet behind me. And they're just sitting there making all these little turkey noises and they're like pecking around and they're right there. So I'm like, okay, if they get in front of me and I spook them, they're going to run and carry him off. So I just turn towards them just to scare them. And one of them's a long beard standing five feet from me. So I was like, well, crap. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> Always assume. I guess a good, good rule of thumb is anytime you hear any hand vocalizations, just assume and I know that assume is not the right word. Just presume that there's a gobbler with them. If you do that, I don't think you ever go wrong because I can't tell you the number of times I've killed gobblers that never said a word. Yep. And the hen started reacting, and I started talking to the hen. And this is a segue into another segment that we talked about. Me yep. Even my little dissertation on that's calling to the hens. But if you just believed in your heart that that gobbler had hens with him, or that hen had a gobbler with him, excuse me, then you might have reacted differently and been a little more still, and then and then you might end up killing a turkey. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Hindsight's twenty twenty. Learned that lesson the hard way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, and like I said, segue into hen talk. Um, I, I have a, a little dissertation I'd love to share with the listeners. Yeah, man. And go that's for it. calling to the hens during the spring. And I'm going to try to make it short and sweet because God knows I can get long winded. But <laughs> whenever you engage, when you know a gobbler has hens. And, and hopefully you haven't gotten too aggressive right off the bat. You're just calling to the gobbler, or, or you have a hand start answering you. Always, th- listen, this is the deal. The, the boss hen in a harem of hens has two personalities. She is either coy and passive, or she's aggressive dominant. Okay, if you start off your conversation aggressively, and this is what you hear hunters do. Oh, man, I'm going to piss off that hen. Well, guess what? You might piss her off if she is the dominant, aggressive hen personality. And then she comes over looking for a fight. You kill the turkey. You're the hero. But if she is the coy, passive hen, and you start being aggressive right off, the, right out of the chute, you start cutting at her and yelping real excited, 99 times out of 
100, what's going to happen? <laughs> She's going to go the other way. She's going to go the other way. Thank you, sir. So, <laughs> rule of thumb, I'm trying to shorten this because I, I can get so long-winded. The rule of thumb is always start with civil conversation. Light clucks, light yelps. Hey, how are you doing? What's going on today? I'm over here by myself. I'd like some company. You know, light clucking, light yelping. Now, if that doesn't work and, and the bird does and, and she doesn't answer you with the light clucks back and soft yelping and start coming to you, then you can start increasing it and try to try to try to challenge her. But if you start soft, you're never gonna offend the koi passive hen, and more than likely you're going to aggravate the boss hen that's aggressive and dominant. And then if she starts cutting and getting aggressive, you start cutting and getting aggressive. If the hen doesn't do anything but cluck and yell back to you, but she still is in, is inquisitive, then you cluck and yell back to her, and y'all have a civil conversation. And she just might wander over to see who this new girl is that's very nice. She's very socially acceptable. She's not going to be <laughs> a wench, if you will. And she comes over, and she just brings the flock over because she wants to have some more company. Always start with light calling. Only elevate that excitement level and that and that dominance level. Let the hen dictate it. If the hen gets nasty with you, then you, then you can have, elevate your calling and your aggressiveness. If she doesn't do that, then don't challenge her right off the bat because you're taking 50% of the equation and you're throwing it out the window because that coy passive hen is going to walk off and say, I don't want, to do, I don't want confrontation. I don't want to be in the middle of a big fight. I'm going to take my man and wander up over here. So if you take it and be soft and subtle with her, then she might come over just to hang out with you and be sociable. Yeah. So there's my uh, – I tried to shorten as best I could. Never start aggressive. Always start soft and passive and only increase your calling excitement level and your aggression level if she increases hers. Yeah. Yeah, man. I like that advice because, I mean, that that's just another one of those things that people overlook – a lot of guys will see yep. they'll see a turkey that's hinned up and they'll just leave it a lot of times. What I mean, I'd always try and work the hens if I can, which a lot of times I have no idea of whether or not he has hens. But man, I've had some crazy, crazy conversations with some hens over the last few years where you'll have one that I've had them come in like soft, like you're talking about, and then I've had them coming in like yelping and cutting really hard, and I'm like, that is definitely a guy on a box call, and then a hen pops yeah. out. <laughs> Well, and another great tip, too, is if neither one of those works, is to kiki run and loft shelf. Because there's there's a certain hen that will react to keying and loft. And loft shelping defined is basically a, a young, younger turkey giving an assembly elf. That is my definition of a, a lost shelf. It's a younger hen by herself looking for company. And it's a long, drawn-out series of yelps. It's not a bunch of cutting. It's just maybe a couple clucks and a long assembly yelp, basically, but maybe a little higher pitched. And in my opinion, it's a younger hen that just is all by herself looking for company. And if that doesn't work, you throw in kiki runs, and you're talking to the hen, and you're trying to capitalize on a hen's maternal instinct, which is the mom instinct. And a lot of times, kiki running will go, well, where is that lost little young let yeah. me go come up here and coddle her because she needs to be with us. We need to bring her into the flock. You didn't challenge her. You didn't. You didn't become dominant 
or aggressive, and you just portrayed a lost young Jenny looking for company. And that's another great way. Keen and lost jumping is another great way to try to call the hens in and bring the gobbler in tow. If you've identified that that gobbler has hens with him. Yeah. How many notes would you say an assembly yelp typically consists of? Like 10 to 15 or more than that? Well, I mean, a rule of thumb would be, um, yeah, 10 notes and above. Because, I mean, a plain yelp is generally going to be four to eight notes probably. And then anything above that, I think a good rule of thumb was to add 10, 12, 15, 20, 25 notes. You know, just a you have to, you have to, it has to be, in my opinion, outside of the norm. And the norm would be just four to six notes. It's plain yell. But when you get on it, there, then you're getting emotional. You're putting a little bit of high, a little low in it. You're putting yeah. inflection in it. And that is basically signifying that I'm looking for company. Yep. Yeah, and that's a, that's a thing you drill down on in a lot of your videos, and with Woodhaven especially, uh, it's like their motto, you know, realism in your turkey calls. Like my, I think Woodhaven's right. realism, realism unleashed. Baby. Yes, sir, man. Well, uh, so, you know, I like I like what you're saying about adding emotion into your call and breaking it up. Because one thing I learned from you uh, a couple years ago, turkey hunting from your videos is. You know, most guys will go out and they'll yelp, you know, four to eight times, but they'll just yelp four to eight times just consistently. And, you know, I know the video. I know the video. Oh, yeah. Repetition. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. And you're breaking it up instead of yelp, 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 yelp. You're, you're putting little gaps in between it, like yelp, 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 yelp. Something more exactly. like that, you know. Yep. Just sounds more that, real. That's something that the average hunter doesn't do. I mean, I've been natural voice calling the whole time we've been doing this. I haven't even put a, I've got a mouth call playing here, but I haven't even got one in my mouth. Um, <laughs> That's but pretty I, good. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the 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 uh, the in and the out. I mean, I can demonstrate what I'm talking about. We'll go ahead and go, we'll go mouth call on y'all. Yeah, heck because I've been doing everything with natural voice. But even when plain yelping or with clucking with your plain yelping, it's it's breaking up the monotony. Because too many times, this is what you hear, a guy in the woods, and this is what he does with a mouth call over and over and over and over. And and in my mind, that turkey, he can rationalize some degree of realism. Like, as in, if he hears something some completely repetitive over and over, I think he can rationalize that that is not real. I mean, that's just, in my heart of hearts, I believe that. Yeah. And this is what you'll, you'll hear, guys. same thing over and over as opposed to throwing it in like this Thank you. 
It's like an oxymoron. It's like jumbo shrimp. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Random organization. It's it's it has the same cadences and the same turkey rhythm, but yet it's not done the same way over and over again. And when you do that, you take your calling to another level, especially hunting pressure turkeys that are getting a lot of calling on a regular basis. Yeah. That's a good segue into lesser known calls. We already covered uh, Jake and, and Gobbler Yelps, but what about uh, stuff like wines or feed calls? Some people call it a feed call. And just That's a wine feed call, yep. Yeah, like real soft stuff like that. How much emphasis do you think that adds to like realism, especially hunting on public land, where most guys can't do that call? It took me a long time to figure out how to do that call. Well, I mean, you know, when you get into public ground, like if I was to go hunt public Florida land, this, this is the last weekend in Florida, this coming weekend. And I hunted a piece of public land. We got on several good goblin birds earlier in the season. We did not kill one. We had one Sturgis and gun range. We couldn't lay out on him and kill him because we had a bad setup. And where, where we set up, we weren't we weren't 100 percent aware of the terrain. If we had walked 30 yards, we'd have saw it opened up. But it was it was early in the morning, and we didn't know the terrain that well. And uh, the bird skirted us in gun range, literally. Had we had moved and, and realized what the terrain was, which goes back into scouting and patterning. I haven't been in this property in years on this piece of public ground, but my point is the setup would have been critical and would have made the difference. We would have killed that turkey. But that bird, there's two times I love to get soft on a gobbler. One, when he's starting to close and he starts slowing down his forward progression, you've been maybe a little aggressive with him, getting him all jazzed up. You're getting him excited. And then I like the, what I call shut him down. It's no different than being at a bar and a guy and a girl are talking nonsense together. If you will, I'm trying to be right <laughs> as much as I can. And the girl's coming on strong. And then all of a sudden she shuts the guy down. And then the guy, what is he? What is that guy going to do if, she, if she's been coming on strong and then all of a sudden she shuts him down? What's the guy going to do? He's, he's probably going to get kind of desperate. <laughs> he's going to try harder. Yeah, yeah. desperate. He's going to become desperate. So what I do, and, there's, and I'll go into the next scenario when I love the soft call, is I've got them wound up, I've got them closing, and then all of a sudden I shut it down like I'm not interested anymore. I get it. I'm, I'm cutting and yelping. I've got him drawn in. Then I just go back to feeding. I'm not paying any attention. I, I whatever. I'm going to cluck and purr and soft yelp. And I really liked you for a minute. Your gobble sounded really sexy. But at this moment in time, I'm not feeling it anymore <laughs> so that's one of the times i love to cat and that's on any turkey that's especially on a turkey that's gobbling good he's coming in but he wants to hang up on you the, the other scenario which is kind of more correlating with what you're talking about is when you're hunting pressure birds you never do get loud and aggressive you're in a place that they've heard all the racket for weeks upon weeks and you're just set up in there and you're scratching in the leaves and this is probably uh, we can probably combine two segments we wanted to talk about scratching in the leaves, clucking and purring, whining and soft yelping, and that's all I'll do. And that turkey there is one that, quite honestly, has to get a little tighter on you to ever know you're there, because you're set up generally in that, that situation. I'm going to be set up in a place that I know there's birds. They may not even be gobbling anymore because they've been pressured so bad they've decided to quit gobbling. And all you're doing is emulating a stick beating hen. And I can demonstrate that for you. And that's the, that's all I'm ever going to do. I'm never going to get real loud. I'm, I'm going to be probably at an audio level that a turkey, knowing how good turkeys can hear, probably would be maybe 100 yards, 75, 80 yards. So you're hoping that 
bird comes in within within that that radius of that that uh, circumference around you. And when he does, and he hear all he hears is this right here. is the whine, soft little yelps like a tree call almost, and, and purrs. And that's when that, in my mind, the gobblers, again, this is my theory. I have tons of theories. My theory is he knows that a hen, a real hen, because of the pressure and the human contact he's had for, they've had for six weeks, five weeks, four weeks, that that hen is not going to be super loud and super aggressive. Because what happens, regardless of the fact of you're calling in the hen or you're trying to call the gobbler in, he's going to have human contact. And then a guy hears the hen start cutting and yelping real loud, he's going to cut real hard and yelp real loud back at her. And I think even the even the hens inevitably become quieter and less vocal. Yeah. So you're, you put yourself in a spot in a target-rich environment where you know there's turkeys, regardless if they're saying a word, and you do what I just did and you scratch in the leaves – and you emulate a feeding hen, it's going to convince him, in my mind, you can convince a turkey, this is truly a hen he's hearing, and it's not some other big, scary, two-legged monster that's been scaring him and bumping, bumping him for the last four weeks. <laughs> now, yeah. to move on in, those same sounds, like I said, scratching in the leaves, I know we wanted to talk about this, so I'll just lead right into it because I'm, I'm grasping it right now, is, uh, is using a wing. Now, I use a wing sometimes in the spring with the fly down cackle sometimes i just fly down without even a cackle i just beat that wing really quickly i'm set up close to a goblin bird or bird on the roost all i do is beat that wing on my hands i may have tree called a couple of times to him just to let him know there is a hen very soft very muted tree calls and then i fly down and never even cackle yeah. if that doesn't work there may be coming a point where i want to get aggressive and remember one thing the more back bag of tricks you have the more tricks you have the more aces that you have in your deck of cards the more chances you have of killing that turkey at that point i may stage a fight with fighting purrs and i take that same wing i beat that wing on my arm while i'm fighting purring and cutting to emulate either two hens fighting or even two gobblers fighting either or but you're emulating a fight and you're giving that turkey sound with that vocalization and very very often not all the time but very often when you combine the two sounds you become even more deadly in the turkey woods. Um, on top of that, I've used a wing to scratch on the bark of the tree while I'm tree calling. I'm up there just softly tree calling. And it goes quiet, and I may take that wing and scratch the bark on that tree. And you very often will hear turkeys bumping against the limbs, and they're stretching their wings out, and they're making contact with that tree, and they give, you can hear that ruffling, scratching sound of feathers on bark. And that's another way that I... I'll use a wing to add a turkey sound with a vocalization. And when, when you can do that effectively, I mean, again, we talked about this on the phone before we ever started recording. When you can combine the two and you can have those back, deeper bag of tricks, then the more, the more techniques and methods that you can employ, the more successful you're going to be. Don't be one-dimensional when you turkey hunt. Don't oh, yeah. walk out there and be that repetitious guy that cuts and yelps and cuts and yelps and cuts and yelps he might get a bird to gobble he sits down he cuts and yelps he cuts and yelps the bird doesn't come in well man i must have done something wrong 
No, you might not have done nothing wrong, but you had about 20 other things that you could have done right that would have sealed the deal and killed that turkey. Yeah. And that goes to fighting, to keep you running, all of these things we've been talking about the last hour that you can employ to try on the turkey. Yeah, exactly. It's three-dimensional yeah. hunting at its best. You, In my opinion, you know, duck hunting is somewhat three-dimensional. Deer hunting is more two-dimensional to me, uh, more one-dimensional to me, because a deer, you're working truthfully, you're working on your patterning and you're scouting more than you are any other any other tactic that you're using you can put decoys out you can put your scent bombs out you can use you can grunt you can bleed you can snort wheeze there's there's things that you can do in deer hunting but they are not nearly as effective as what you can do turkey hunting and you can run the three-dimensional aspects of turkey hunting with with setup with decoy if you want to use decoys with decoys with changing location and position with calling with turkey sounds and turkey turkey vocalizations we're challenging the gobble with gobbler yelps and gobbler yelping or jake yelps and gobbler yelping and half gobbling to talking to the hen i mean we've named and gone over probably 10 or 12 different things that guys that may have never considered walking in the turkey woods and if we can do that we can help a guy kill a turkey then we've done well with this podcast <laughs> yeah man absolutely man and this is the i've only been turkey hunting for four years hard because like i've told people before my dad was an accountant so growing up we never got to go because of tax season but you know oh yeah man we i I didn't get to start going until i turned 16 and i've never really hunted private land birds it's all been public but you know this year has definitely been a breakout year for me the difference was that i've just like you said i've deepened my bag of tricks it's all these different setups it's all these different tactics it's all these different calling techniques and it's like a it's like a like a puzzle or something and you you just get different pieces and put them together as you need them because that big bird not checkers exactly that 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 big bird that i killed two weeks ago that i told you about earlier you know you you were you mentioned uh like kind of ignoring them but then also only soft calling and you know i I got in on that bird way before daylight because I knew right about where he was. Or we got in there, uh, didn't get busted, thank God. And then, you know, when he was in the tree, I just did really light uh, clucking and purring, which I didn't know exactly where he was. And he hammered that cluck and purr, just a cluck and purr. He hammered it. And so then I did the little fly down, and I just scratched in the leaves, and I didn't yelp at him one single time. And you know, a couple years ago, I would have yelped my head off at him trying to get him fired up. And I basically ignored him, and it worked. And 15 minutes later, he was dead. He's dead at 6:50 in the morning, you know. So there you go. And that and that's a whole nother tactic that we totally overlooked, or not just not overlooked, but didn't mention is going silent. There yep. is there. That's one of the best things that I do year in year out is having the uh, ability and having the uh, what's the word I'm looking for. Um, just being able to refrain yeah from making the a willpower. sound having the discipline is the word i was like yeah or the yeah. discipline to shut up don't say a word for 15 20 minutes will kill more turkeys than people will ever will ever fathom if you could if you've got him fired up he's hung up on you shut up for 20 minutes keep your eyes peeled keep your gun up be listening for spitting and drumming but there's a many a time that that in itself, just going silent, will kill the crap out of turkeys. Yeah. Because that gobbler thinks that you've walked off and left. So human nature, or turkey, excuse me, turkey nature is going to have that gobbler eventually wander over at least to get where he heard this sexy hen and try to look for her. Because 
because he thinks she's walked off. That's what's happening here. And yeah. then when that happens, guess what? He ends up going, because he knows right where you're at. He's going to end up in gun range of you. He may not gobble coming in. If he does gobble on his own, you can rest assured he's a very dead bird. Very often when they gobble on their own, when you go silent, you get ready because he is looking for you. <laughs> but he, he may not. He may come in quiet and strut and, and spit drum and be listening and keep your eyes peeled and you're alert, on, keep yourself on high alert because going silent will kill a ton of turkeys if you've got the ability to do it. you got the discipline to do it. Yeah, man. So we're coming up on an hour here. So to close out, I got <laughs> oh, a couple. Oh yeah, dude. I can't, man. I can talk turkeys with you for four days straight, man. I love talking. You got me fired up, dude. Um, to finish out, we'll do some listener questions. And this this first one is from uh, our mutual friend Tr, and he's asking, "What would your approach be to an old bird that's educated and been shot at on either?" Uh, two scenarios on light pressured land or heavily pressured public land so it's an old bird been shot at what would you do on you know a nice piece of private land that's not very pressured versus a, a, a bird that lives on heavy pressured public land if i had the ability the first step would be to pattern him because i know that he is going to be very less receptive to a call once i pattern him i mean you could kill him by patterning knowing where he struts knowing where he flies down if he has any consistencies in his in his patterns and what he's doing um the next step would be exactly what i talked about earlier would be clucking and purring and whining and softy off and that's all i would do that's something that turkey there you're trying to convince is you're trying to convince him that you're a hen that is just over there feeding um he probably was yelped too aggressively he might have been i would only presume that he was cut to a little bit he was aggressively called to, you're going to tone it down, you're going to put yourself in his living room, and you're going to soft call it, period. And you're going to scratch in the leaves. Uh, you may be, you may, Maybe he does gobble still, even though he's been shot at. He can still very easily gobble. You get in tight to him, you fly down with a wing, you never cackle. You might not even tree call. You might tree call once. You might bubble cluck twice just to say there's a hen over here. Then you go silent, you fly down, you start scratching the leaves, you cluck and purr, and you be very, very patient. You wait. You, that's a turkey, in my opinion. You're gonna have to wait out. You're gonna have to put a lot of patience, a lot of time in that turkey. Now, every, every now and again, the opposite end of the spectrum occurs. You you hunt him. Maybe you did this in early season. You leave that turkey alone. You come back two or three weeks later, and you call him in like it was opening day because he is looking for love. So there's about three different ways I would hunt that bird depending on when you did what you did, how much you call to him and you did it and what time how much time between the time you're hunting him and when you pattern him and try to figure out what he's doing you sometimes employ deer hunting techniques when i'm when I'm, their tactics is what i'm talking about because he may not ever he may there's a chance he may never be call receptive again that's where you have to work on woodsmanship and just patterning that turkey yeah yeah um so, so basically, like uh, private land, you just kind of leave him alone for a week or two or two weeks, and then public though, if he's if he's continuing to get pressure, then you would only do soft stuff or maybe even basically just deer hunting. Yeah, I mean it's it's literally yeah. I mean if it's a less pressured bird, then you could potentially call him right in later in the season. If he, if it's public ground and you shot his turkey and you know. Ten other Joes have been after him for, for weeks at a time before you maybe get a chance to go after him again. You're going to have to try to pattern that turkey. That's going to be 
be a hard turkey to kill. And regardless, you're going to be doing the very soft stuff. You're going to be scratching in the leaves, scratching that wing on the bark of the tree, flying down without a cackle. The vocalizations, there's a lot of people that would argue this point, but I'm not one of them because I agree wholeheartedly. I don't think the people that argue this point have never hunted truly pressure birds that are getting yapped at constantly. But they, they figure out that every vocalization they hear in the woods is not a hen turkey. And, and that is my 100. And the hens, especially in Florida, even the hens will go quiet. And they quit becoming as vocal because even they're getting harassed and bumped. And when that happens, then they quit communicating by vocalizations. And they're looking by sight. And they're listening for each other with just turkey sounds that turkeys make. Outside of that, it's very, very soft talk. Yeah. Now, there's people that will argue that point, but I'll argue till I'm in dead in the grave because I've seen it for 30-something years on public ground here. Um, they get so much pressure. When you get so much pressure week in, week out, week in, week in out, that the hens even start getting quieter and start doing their thing, then you're going to have to employ almost like deer hunting and patterning and very, very, if any, soft calling. Yep. Yeah, Okay. We're getting to the next one. This one's from my buddy Zach Eccles. Uh, he's asking, what do you do when you get into an area and there's nothing going on? There's no gobbles or anything. How do you uh, how do you either get birds fired up or how do you decide whether or not you should call loud or stay soft or, or just anything of that nature? How do you go about well, a cold day? I've got to ask, the one, the one variable is, does the guy know there are turkeys or gobblers in the area? Yes. Yeah. Okay, well, it's very simple. Um, now, we're not putting pressure on this in this uh, equation, if you will. Um, but, I mean, especially Easterns and especially Osceola's. Rios and Miriams are a different breed. Rios and Miriams will gobble. I mean, I, I'm not saying if they get super pressured, they won't get a little quieter. But 9 out of 10 times, Miriams and Rios are going to gobble. That's what they do. They just they're, they're, they act differently than our birds do. And the Florida birds do. I say ours, the Easterns, the Osceola's do. Yeah. So if you're in a place you know there's those turkeys, I mean, it may be a morning they just didn't gobble. And if, if it's a morning they just didn't gobble, which happens like every other day in the Florida and the Carolinas and Georgia and Alabama and Tennessee, I think the further north you go, the more they gobble. In my opinion, and that could be due to predators, it could be due to hunting pressure, but birds in the southeast and Florida gobble less than any other turkeys and I've hunted about 25 states, and they gobble less than any other turkeys, and they're more fickle with their gobbling. But if you go in there and you know their sign and there's there's turkeys there, there's gobblers there, and they just didn't gobble, there's two options. You either set yourself up in a place you know that there's gobblers frequenting, and you set up an e-buy call. And you don't get too aggressive. You cluck and you yelp, and you cluck and you yelp. You can base all that on your, your knowledge of whether the bird was pressured. If he wasn't pressured much, then I might be a little more aggressive. It's, it's early season and he wasn't pressure much i might be a little more aggressive if it's later season and it's a hunt lease or something and you know that guys have been jacking with these turkeys then i'm going to call less frequently and i'm going to be less aggressive and less rashes and loud okay if yeah. you're hunting public ground i'm going to be even less than that so there's a lot of variables you got to consider but the fact is if they're there and you're not hearing them you can either do what i'm saying and then you can call a little bit less or a little bit more depending on the pressure and what time the season is and how much pressure they've had you can run and gun and try to find the needle in the haystack that's that's what i did in my younger years when 
and I had a lot of more piss and vinegar in my system, <laughs> I would cover 47 miles trying to find the needle in the haystack, that one gobbler that was going to gobble and would come to a call. Or B, that'd be A. B, you just go in there where you know there's gobblers, and you set up, and you go to what I talked about first in this response, and that's just blind call. And then you base your frequency and volume of calling on whether you think they've already been pressured terribly much. If he's not been terribly pressured, I would be a little more loud, a little more aggressive. If he figured he's been pressured a lot, then I'm going to scale the calling back. And I'm going to set in one spot, and I'm going to call, call and be patient. Because patience is one factor that's overlooked more than anything in turkey hunting. Overcalling, going silent, and patience are probably three of the most overlooked factors in turkey hunting. Yeah. So I'm going to sit there, and I'm going to be patient. And based on the pressure I think he's received is the amount of calling I'm going to get if you feel full of piss and vinegar, then get on your boot leather and go find a turkey that wants to gobble. Yeah. But I found as, as I get older, get slower, get fatter, <laughs> get out of shape, <laughs> I can go and do and sit in one spot and do the same thing as I did when I covered all those miles as a young fella. And once in a while, I would find that super hot turkey, and it did work for me. But more times than not, if you set up and you blind call, you have turkey. These are nomadic. They're always moving. Nine out of ten times, they're feeding here, they're feeding there, they're working through an area. And what happens when you set up and you blind call in any scenario, and you're putting vocalizations out there, is you're you're trolling, you're baiting with sound, with your vocalizations. And the, don't don't confuse that, listeners. I'm not saying you're baiting with corn or anything else. You're throwing <laughs> that sound out there, and those birds start drifting through an area. And, and here's what I believe happens. That gobbler hears you from 400 yards. He may not gobble, but he picks his head up. He goes, hmm, I hear some, I hear some, a little honey over there. And then you're, and then, and then five minutes later, you call again. And he picks his head up. And goes, Man, she sounds sexy. And he happens <laughs> to be kind of wandering your way. And yeah. then the fourth or the fifth or the sixth time you call, finally you piqued his interest. And then he may or may not gobble, but he may finally you may get him riled up enough that he comes and take a peek and very often he does gobble because he's heard you for the last 20 minutes calling every five to seven minutes and you finally have actually got him excited he gobbles and then he closes the distance and you kill him so it's just like you're putting that sound out there in that radius that three four hundred yard radius depending on wind depending on thickness of woods always a lot of variables in turkey hunting but you're putting that that your that cast net of sound around you and very and you'll do just as well by sitting in one spot because turkey are in an area and they're working the area and moving throughout the area as you do trying to cover 7,000 acres in three hours and walking 400 miles and you're only hitting that same area and you're only calling one time or two times and he may pick his head up and listen but he doesn't do anything about it he's like ah whatever yeah or every now and again the needle in the haystack is discovered and you find that hot bird and he hammers at you and you find a good setup and you sat down and you start calling him and you kill him. But I think you'll find if you just slow down and be patient and set up in an area in a target-rich environment and blind call, you'll kill just as many. I found myself, I've probably killed more turkeys blind calling in the afternoon, especially on in the mid-morning to, to afternoon. After the initial off-the-roost hunt has occurred, I found myself killing a lot more turkeys just doing just that, just being patient, sitting back, chilling, and emulating turkey talk yeah i love it man i love it i got one more question for you and that is uh what 
Okay, this kind of happened to me this morning, actually. I told you there's like five different birds out there gobbling. One of them was just triple gobbling. He was going absolutely crazy. And let's say you sneak down there and you get within 120 yards, give or take, of where he's roosted. Or let's say you get within 100 yards of where he's roosted. And you... uh. You call to him, you maybe do some tree yelps or maybe some other stuff. Maybe you go ahead and yelp at him, and he's hammering on his own, but he will not respond to you. How do you handle that situation? Just wait him out. Just wait him yeah. out? I mean, you're talking about bird on the roof, correct? Yeah. Yeah, you just... If, you, if you're 100 yards from a turkey and you're giving a fairly audible volume yelp, he knows you're there. Whether he answers it or not, he knows you're there. I've killed tons of turkeys that never directly answered me i gave my three or four tree calls i gave my fly down maybe just with the wing again depending on time of the season how much pressure he's had if i do give a fly down cackle if it's a pressure bird i might give a four note cackle if it's a non-pressure bird i might give a ten note cackle if it's a really pressure bird i may just give the fast wing beats with that wing and make it very audible so that you believe he hears you, you know he hears you because you know their hearing is like four times better than ours. Yeah. That's how they pinpoint you. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. So I'm just going to wait that bird out and let him get on the ground. And then once he gets on the ground, you hope, hope that he answers you at least once to know that he's in the vicinity of you. Now, if he hits the ground and shuts up, there's not a lot you can do at that point. That, that That's almost time to reposition go find another turkey. If he does gobble a couple of times, he does honor you on the ground, then that's when I'm definitely going to wait him out and I'm going to be paid. Patience kills turkeys. Those old timers that have been hunting turkeys, and all, and you, and you probably heard as young as you are, Andrew. The old timers that would sit in one spot, and all they would do is go. That's all they did hmm. about once an hour. But they killed turkeys. The reason why they killed turkeys is a, they were probably in a place they knew birds were using, and b, they were just being patient yeah. they waited them out they waited them out and finally a bird wanders in with an earshot of that very soft calling and with their uncanny hearing they end up killing turkeys so what you have to do is let that turkey get on the ground and hope he gobbles and hope he answers you at least and honors you once or twice to let you know that he is there in the vicinity and if he doesn't and you at least you believe in your heart that he flew down I'm still going to sit there and I'm going to wait on that turkey and I might get aggressive. Again, everything is contingent on when and how much pressure the turkeys have. That's a huge factor. Every time I go across the nation hunting places, you think these birds have been hunting and called to a bunch. Now, granted, do I think that I can outcall and, and, and do something to that turkey that the average guy didn't do because I have taken my calling level skills and ability to communicate to another level? Absolutely. I think there, I mean, there's plenty of turkeys I've killed that have been called to and I've been more aggressive than you would think I would be, but because I've added more realism to my sequences and done and added more better cadences to my sequences that it's worked and they've, I've told them, yes. But at the same time, always go back to how much you think this turkey's been hunting. And that will generally gauge how much I do call the turkey. Now, if a bird does that early season, non-pressure, I may get really aggressive to try to get his mood peak and try to get him fired up. I can't tell you the turkey's when I knew that I could call freely, that I started cutting and excited yelping, and I got him fired up once he got on the ground and turned him right my way. 
if it was later in the season, I knew these birds had been pressured, public or private, I may scale it back, and then that's where I'm going to be a little bit more patient. I'm going to scale the calling back, get a little bit quieter, and be patient and wait on him, wait him out and see what he does. Because he may never gobble again, but he may close the distance and come into gun range on him. That's when you're listening and looking and your senses are high. Never let your guard down, man. Yeah. I don't care if he's gobbling his brains out or he's not said a word. Always keep yourself on high alert because you never know. Like what happened to you this morning when those birds were coming in and closed on you and you, you busted, they busted you. If you was to keep yourself on high alert, keep the minimum, the movement to a minimum, you're going to bump a lot less turkeys, especially ones that try to slip in quiet and tight on you. And they don't alert you with their presence with clucking or yelping if it's a hen or if he's gobbling as did the gobbler. Yeah. Man, this this is probably my favorite turkey episode we've done so far. This is a lot of good stuff, I'm man. Glad. I appreciate it, man. I think we put a lot of knowledge out there for the listeners. I hope we have anyway. Yeah, but, man, for sure. Well, Scott, buddy, I can't thank you enough for coming on and doing this and doing the strut report and everything, man. Uh, you're a killer, dude. I love talking to you, and <laughs> you've shared a lot of information. There's a, it's, it's chess, not checkers. That's going to be my new motto for the year is chess, not checkers. There's a lot more strategy to it than people will, will ever identify. And that's not only with not just calling, with setup, with scouting, with patterning, with vocalization, with turkey sounds, with exploiting emotional uh, dominance or lack of dominance, uh, hands calling to hands, calling to gobblers, calling to jakes. I mean, there's so many variables. And if you can always be open-minded and always be reaching for that next tactic that when one thing doesn't work and you've given it its full run, then you go to the next tactic and you run it till it's not, not going to work. And then you run to the next tactic, you'll find yourself killing a lot more turkeys. Thank you, yeah, man. Well, Scott, I hope you have a great rest of the season, man. And uh, hopefully many more turkeys will fall. I hope so, brother. I hope my little boy Jake gets on one Thursday morning in North Carolina. He's going to be on the gun first. (laughs) I hear that, man. Y'all go ahead and write down the dates, June 28th through June the 30th. Go ahead and just mark those off your calendar so you can be at the Dalton Convention Center in Dalton, Georgia for the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo. Y'all heard a a ton of content from that expo last year that we posted. Uh, We talked about it a ton. Look, if you're the kind of person that listens to this podcast, this show was literally made for you. It was literally designed for you, which means you're going to love it. You know, all the best companies in mobile hunting are going to be there. A lot of the best deer killers in the Southeast are going to be there. A lot of our past podcast guests are going to be there. It's just, it's going to be an incredible event. And hey, if you've been looking to either get into a saddle or maybe a mobile lock-on setup or just a different kind of tree stand setup, I'm telling you, it's worth the investment to go to this show because they're all going to be there and you, you will get to try all of them in person before you buy it. So you don't have to order something online and then wait for it and then try it when it comes in to see if you really like it, you're going to get to go put your hands on everything all in one day, test it all out, and figure out exactly what works best for you, and have it taken care of before deer season starts. So like I said, go ahead and put it on your calendar, guys. It's a no-brainer. you got to be at the show. Again, it's Friday, June 28th through Sunday, June 30th in Dalton, Georgia. We absolutely cannot wait to meet you guys there and talk hunting. So we'll see you at the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo in Dalton, Georgia.